the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. Today, uh, I've got a part two with Mike Huber. Mike is a certified mental performance consultant accredited by the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. Michael is also the founder and host of the Freshman Foundation Podcast, which prepares young athletes and families for every step in their athletic journey. He's also a father to his two children, Patrick, 14, and Lucy, 12. I have a dog named Lucy. I think I told you that on the last podcast. Yes. <laughs> as well as an experienced business advisor and ex-baseball player, which I love. Today, we want to welcome to the show, Mike Huber. Hey, Mike, thanks for being on again. Good, good to see you, Nuns. How are you? I'm going to tell everybody how this came about. You know, once in a while, we'll have some athletes that they're throwing darts and all of a sudden, they just can't get in the zone or they're having problems, you know, with their control or they might get a little tiny bit of the yips and... As much as we know about training pitchers and hitters from a lifting and a mechanics standpoint, one thing I do not pride myself on is being able to get into their head. And it's always something that I'm infatuated with. I talked with Mike about it a little bit before, and I talked with Alan Yeager about it a bunch um, on another podcast. So we had an athlete over the last couple of weeks who's been struggling a bit, hard thrower, throws in the 90s, making great progress, can't find the zone. The mom asked me and I said, hey, listen, man, maybe you want Mike to talk to him. So Mike texted me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm going to be with this kid uh, at 1245 on Thursday. If you're going to be around, I said, absolutely. And I was waiting for Mike to arrive. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to pull out a piece of paper and a clipboard and I'm going to tell my pitching coaches if they've got time, they should be hanging out because this is such a valuable thing for myself and my pitching coaches to really listen to because this is something I said, guys, listen to what Mike's telling them. Listen to what he's saying. I'm going to ask him some questions, and then I'm going to take those answers and stick them in your pocket because that is a big separator from other pitching coaches, being able to hear what a really great mental performance coach has to say and what he's looking at when a guy's throwing. Because Mike, on the other hand, is looking at something completely different. And I went down there with a bunch of questions, and he started answering them. I said, hold up, Mike. I'm going to just I'm going to write these questions down. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about what we're doing with this kid. Um, so today, Mike's here, and we're going to talk a little bit about when I asked him what he was looking at, and he's going to just go through two, three, four, five things. First, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you to decide to become you know, a mental performance coach? So as you mentioned, I was a baseball player. I played in high school. I uh, started two years on my varsity team, was a good, not a great player. Um, 
And that was the primary inspiration for me to get into the field. Now, fast forward about 25 years, I didn't actually get into sports psychology until I was in my 40s. But predating that, I played baseball in a men's league for about 15 years before that. So from my mid-20s to my early 40s. And what I realized is that if I had somebody to help me when I was in high school, my career almost certainly would have lasted longer because I was constantly on a roller coaster, right? In terms of my performance, when things were good, they were great. When they were bad, they were horrible. And there was really no in between. So I I kind of wanted to be that guy, uh, if I could, to be the person that helped smooth things out for athletes who are highly capable, highly functional, you know, talented but the only thing getting in their way from performing at the level they want to perform is in between their ears. That's great. That's and I I respect that so much because like I said before, it's a huge it's it's a huge gap in my coaching skills and I'm not afraid to say it, you know, I, I like just like when someone needs a PT, we refer out. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to tell everybody. I can do manual therapy, but beyond that, I'm not trying to be a PT. So we will refer out and we will also refer out with our nutrition and we will also refer out with our mental performance coach. And I'm, I'm glad you're here. So we had this athlete come in. I love this kid. Um, hard thrower, um, going, going to play division one ball, just, you know, struggling a little bit. And when I went down and I, and I said, you know what, I'm going to pick Mike's brain. I asked you, I said, Mike, when you're looking at this guy, what exactly are you looking at? So I'm going to I'm going to bang off three or four things that you said and maybe uh you can just go into them for in depth a little more in depth. So the first thing you said was I'm looking at his facial expressions. Can you uh can you go into that a little bit? What does it tell help tell you? Absolutely, right? So I watch the facial expressions to see how he's reacting to the pitches he's throwing in a bullpen which is super low stress theoretically, right? Low stimulus working on improvement, right? In a developmental setting, if a player, whether it's a hitter and I work with hitters in the same setting or a pitcher, if their facial expressions are telling me that they're buying too much into the result in a bullpen or a cage, like what does that say about how they're going to respond in a competitive situation, right? If things don't go the way they want them to, when they're in a game, now you've got that multiplied by, you know, 10, a hundred right? Because now I'm getting, I'm not getting the result I want in a very, very chaotic, stressful environment. And so if they're responding that way in a controlled environment, that tells me that that's something that we need to watch out for. There may be some level of perfectionism or uh, a limited ability to manage um, emotions, right? So those are things I'm trying to get that I wouldn't get in a Zoom session or in a one-on-one session where you're not seeing the player actually do what it is they're good at. So you said reacting to a pitch, which was number two, but I'm curious, um, do you look at the facial expressions as they're throwing the pitch before they even know if it's going to be a strike? That's a good question. Uh, Typically, no, I'm usually looking at the spaces in between the pitches because the truth is right. Like that's kind of where I operate anyway, right? Like I'm the guy that's helping coach a pitcher or a hitter between the 10 seconds or 15 seconds between pitches, not as much as when they're actually executing the pitch because I can't do anything about that, right? And they're so focused on that, right? But what they're kind of not aware of or what they're not paying attention to a lot of the time in training is 
how am I handling that 10 or 15 seconds in between reps or in between pitches? Like what's my mental approach so that I can re-engage and lock into the next pitch. That's where I put my focus, but you raise a good point, right? Like if their visual focus or their eyes are in the wrong place, or maybe there's even like a, a, a noticeable reaction while they're throwing the ball. Next question I might ask is what were you thinking there? Right. Like what, that's a question I'll ask a lot. What were you thinking? Because I'm not in there, but I want to know, because if I understand what they're, where they're coming from or what they're thinking about when they do something, anything in context, now that gives me more information to say, okay, how do we address this going forward? Because maybe there's something there that's kind of becoming a block or getting in the way. So that's interesting because you talked about the time in between the pitches and the reaction to the pitch. And what we do as far as looking at mechanics, we actually look at their face while they're throwing the pitch. And we actually try to tell them, relax your face, because if you relax your face, the entire body relaxes. And when we see a guy that's really tightening up his face, generally, he's got a really tight arm and he's not letting that arm get whippy, right? So when we tell him to relax his face, everything relaxes and it's almost impossible if you if you think about it it's almost impossible if you ever tried to relax your face and keep your arm tight you can't you actually can't do it so we use that for on our end as a way to get it started and Quite possibly, if we can get guys to get a looser arm before they throw the pitch, um, maybe their reaction to a, a not-so-great pitch would actually be less because they're not going in it with such angst. I mean, what do you think of that? I, I, I love it, right? And I love what you said because like, one of the things I might tell a client to do, now this isn't, you know, this isn't exactly rocket science, but sometimes I tell my clients to just you know, take the opportunity to smile, right? Like, and this does tie into the work that I do. You you get to play a game that most people don't get to play at the level you play it at, right? There's a level of gratitude, right? So if you take the opportunity to think about that and smile, right, you're breaking that cycle of stress. Because I think what you said is exactly right. It's not pitched like in the you know in 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 a, in a, in a, a lab experiment, right? It would be pitch to pitch to pitch. Right. And I'd love to be able to break that up pitch to pitch to pitch. But the reality is, is a lot of baseball players, it becomes a cumulative response. One pitch becomes another bad pitch and another bad pitch becomes another bad pitch. And that stress, that tension, right, that you see in the face or that you see in the body, in the body language, like that tension builds up. And unless you do something consciously to break it, it's it's going to build up even subconsciously to the point where every pitch you're trying to hump up and do more than you need to do because your body's naturally trained to do the things that you're saying for it to do. And you're getting in the way, just by the way, you're approaching the pitch, your, your emotional and cognitive response. You're getting in your own way, right? You're letting anxiety actually become an illness and it's actually just an emotion. And if you yes. look at it that way, you can control it a little better, I think. And that's, that's, a, really, that's a really great point. Um, the next thing you said I look at is, how is he taking cues from the coach? I look at his body awareness, I look at his face, and I look and see how he's taking cues from the coach. Um, can you talk about that? Absolutely. And, and that was one of the things I looked at the other day. Because again, like you know, with this particular player, he and I have only met in a virtual setting. I've never seen him in the environment at RPP. And I know that he thinks very fondly of the facility in just terms of what it means to him in his life and his career. Right. So I kind of want to see him in his, in, in the wild, right. I want to see him in his environment. And when he's being coached, 
I could just see him leaning into every word that his pitching coaches is saying to him because he has this motivation to get better, right? Which is a wonderful thing, right? I, you know, listen, there are plenty of kids who go through the motions, right? They show up, whether it's private instruction or out of practice, they just want to play games or they, you know, they just sort of, they're caught up in the other stuff in their life. Like I could see his response being like, this is really important to me. I want every ounce of energy and information that I can get so I can apply it to the next pitch and get better. So motivationally, that tells me a lot of really good things. The flip side to that also is, is that, you know, when we get so emotionally invested in what we do, and I talk to kids about this a lot, our identity, so much of our identity is tied up in the sport that we play. So what, that when things don't go well, right, we get the the negative responses we don't want. And so like seeing that just tells me more about him because I, I do think one of the things that I am good at, and this is probably the reason why I do it nuns is like, I am good at putting myself into my athlete's shoes, getting into their heads, like being empathetic because I was in those shoes. You were like, a baseball player. I, I get it. I get how much it means that like, it was the most important thing in the world for me to be good at baseball, for people to see me good at baseball. And that was sort of my downfall because I cared too much. Right. And so my job, I'd love to see them and love it and be in it. But I also want to take out and say like, Hey, like maybe this is the adjustment you need to make mentally to get, to make mentally, to get the most out of it rather than like just getting caught up in that tunnel vision, if you want to call it that of performance, like everything has to be perfect. I have to be great all the time. And that's unrealistic. And it's frankly, it's probably maladaptive and un unhealthy. It's a huge stress to put on yourself, especially a young Correct. kid. So um, you also said, sometimes I'll look at an athlete and I'll see if there may, might, I might sense some learning um, issues that the athlete may have, in which case we have to be careful about keeping words to a minimum cue. Can you talk about how you look at that and how a pitching coach that's listening right now might be able to do a quick cognitive uh, uh, testing on a guy, some things to look at to maybe know that how much your, uh, your internal and external cueing, your internal cueing should be and how in-depth it should be and when to keep stuff at a minimum? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that this is like, you know, my area of expertise, but a question I love to ask, and I think is really important to ask, particularly young kids is how do you like to learn? How do you learn best? And what I've found anecdotally, right? I don't think there's any science to it because it probably varies kid to kid. But what I've found is they like to learn two ways. They like to see it and they like to do it, right? So kinesthetically like to feel what they're doing. And they like to see someone demonstrate it for them, right? And sometimes when coaches get too wordy, then there's a processing issue, right? Now, some kids have, you know, they may have learning challenges, right? Which we wouldn't know that un unless the kid told us or mom and dad told us. Right. For me, that's important, right? Because if I'm talking to a kid and everything that I'm doing or everything I'm suggesting is in terms of words, like self-talk or explaining things verbally and they're having trouble processing it. They're not going to get the most out of the coaching, right? So like maybe trying to simplify things and making them visual or making a, 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 a word cue or some sort of aid being very, very simple, simplifying, and then being able to visualize a picture or a spot or something externally that allows them to go after it rather than staying internal. 
And that that makes sense because honestly, uh, the thing that we always stress here with the with the pitching coaches is, I, I really don't care what kind of a learner you are. Nobody wants a big, long-winded conversation. Love, you know, get into your back heel and now stay on. Keep all three feet fat. Then when you're coming down, you want to keep your knee behind your toe. And you got to. It's like, yo, dude, that's just like that is unnecessary. You know, mm -hmm. make it quick, make it quick, and make it to the point. So that was that was another thing I thought was great that you mentioned. Um, a big one, a big one with even with myself, um, and I see it with my daughter too. Being able to shut out external stimulation, okay, um, whether it be a crowd, whether it's the kids screaming in here while guys are are throwing, um, can you can you briefly just tell us what technically is happening in the in, in the mind uh, that is letting interference happen at first, and then um, maybe some things you might tell a kid who's getting just getting you know completely frazzled by external stimulation. Yeah. So I think that the the mo the simplest way to answer the question or to start with is to say the brain is wired to scan the environment for threats, right? So when something is going on around us, we're either reacting to it because we want to know, is it going to harm us, right? That's our survival mechanism. Or if there's nothing going on around us, sometimes we get distracted just to go look for that thing that we think is going to threaten us because we've lost you know, attention on that thing that's happening to go back to what, just what you were saying, when someone gets really wordy with us, forget the context, right? Whether you're learning it in baseball or you're in school or you're at your job, if people are just rambling on talking, your mind wanders, right? Because it's like, well, this is too much. I'm burning too many calories trying to figure out what they're saying. I'm going to go think about something that makes me happy, or I'm going to think about something else. So our brains are naturally wired to that distraction that way. Right. So we're kind of working at a deficit to begin with. And so for me, the, the, the number one thing I love to do, especially with young people is help them train mindfulness, right? So that the distractions that pop up inevitably around us in the environment, whether they're auditory, right? We hear them, we see them, right? Or there's internal distractions like our thoughts and feelings. If we can recognize it, and you were saying this before, now I have a choice of what to do with that thought. Now I have a choice of what to do with that emotion where I go, okay, that sound over there at the other end of the facility where someone's screaming because they're, you know, they just maxed out on their, you know, trap bar deadlift. That has nothing to do with what I'm about to do, which is to throw the ball. Now, how the next step is, how do I get my attention back to the present moment? That's where the cue comes in, right? One word one one word two words or a visual right pick up the catcher's glove forget that sound that's where all my attention needs to be is needs to be on what's in front of me right or when we were in the facility this week right with with the athlete we've been talking about the coach said when i was pitching i picked up the foul pole right there was a visual cue to help me sort of refocus my attention on this next thing and there has to be a mental process and i do this all the time with athletes having a mental process that works for them, right? Not for me, but for them so that when they do catch themselves being distracted, they can come back to where does my mind need to be right now? I need to execute this pitch. And so we're kind of fighting upstream because if we get into a competitive setting, right? Where we start to talk about those sounds, fans, coaches, teammates, chirping on the other bench. Who will try to take you out of your game. Correct. Correct. And, and are you able, do you have a 
process, a protocol, a, a routine to reset yourself so that you're not then getting caught up in and accumulating that stress because every time you miss a pitch and you throw a ball and then the kid in the dugout starts chirping at you, like now that builds up. Now we get the stress. Now our face tightens up. Now our muscles tighten up. And that just keeps going until we're able to break that. A lot of times what happens with athletes is particularly pitchers is they redline, meaning they they almost are looking for an eject button. So they just be like, get me out of here, right? I'll throw 10 more balls. My coach will pull me because I can't handle it, right? We don't want that. We want them to be able to be like, okay, that was one bad pitch or one bad at bat. Now I'm going to restart and refocus all my attention on what I'm about to execute. That takes practice. We do it in bullpens, but we don't apply the mental. You know, when we go to a game, we're worried about executing pitches, but we're not, we don't have a mental process to sort of embed in that so that even when things don't go our way, we're ready to reset ourselves. That's great. So, so the last thing I want to talk about on that topic, what I'm trying to get at is with a lot of these young guys, when you're trying to find that go-to word or words to get you into your own thing, everybody's got their own way of doing it. But from a kid who just has no idea how to even start doing that, mm-hmm. what what do you what do you suggest to a kid to actually get him even in the ballpark of starting to try to figure out what that what those what those resetting cues are? That's that's a fantastic question because I definitely have experienced that because as a coach, I I'm very much invested in my athletes finding the answers for themselves with my prompting. But not every athlete is created equally. A lot of times it's a developmental issue. I'm 15, 16, 17 years old. I don't even really understand what you're saying to me. So for me, the the explanation or the approach would be, I want you to focus on something process oriented, something you can control. So it's not based on a result, right? Like the conversation I have with pitchers all the time is coaches will come to them. They'll come out to the, the mound and they'll say, hey, just throw strikes, right? And every pitcher hates that because just throwing strikes is not that easy, but nobody actually tells you how to throw strikes. So for me, I want them to tell themselves how, what am I going to do that I can control to reset myself? So my, one of my favorites is attack, right? When I'm in an attack mode, I'm not thinking about the result. I'm thinking about how am I going to attack the batter, right? That's more about my motivation and what I control than where does the ball end up? I want you to attack the zone. Now it's in your control versus going, well, I want to throw it a strike. Well, if I want to throw a strike, it's not up to me. So if I make it process oriented, they get it. And then I help guide them toward what works for them. That's, that was a great answer. That's actually what I was, what I was looking for. Um, So you were talking about young guys and sometimes they just don't have a clue, right? Um, At what age this was my other question. At what age should all this be considered something that's serious enough to start talking about? I mean, do do you let young kids kind of find their way a little bit until you realize that they're struggling? Um, do you start to see them struggling? And is, is maybe uh, a little bit of them kind of battling it out at first part of the healing process? Or, um, or do you try to address this right away when you see it? Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll just sort of tell you a little bit of a backstory, right? So Great. when I got into this and I'll make it quick, when I got into this, my bias was like 11, 12, 13 was too young for this, right? Like why complicate the process at such a young age? 
Now, what I'm finding is a like my bias was incorrect. One, because the world we live in is different than the world that I grew up in 30 plus years ago. Travel sports are different. Expectations are different. Like the context is different, right? So kids have more pressure today. That's number one. But number two, there are definitely basic things that 11, 12, 13 year olds can be doing that are setting the foundation for the way they think about things, right? So maybe it's not like uh, customized coaching, but it's more like like specific concepts that I think lay the foundation, like what do I control? So I talk to them about controlling your ape, attitude, preparation, effort, right? Basic stuff, right? So like they start to see and are aware of the difference of what they can and what they can't control. And when they don't get the results that they want, it's okay. It's how you respond. And then we do some emotional regulation. How do you feel when this happens? Do you like feeling that way? No, I don't like being angry. I don't like being frustrated. Does it affect the way you perform? Yes. Our thoughts become our feelings and our feelings become our behaviors. So if you're able to control your thoughts and emotions, you're going to play better. That kind of ties into motivation. They go, oh, I get it, right? I want to feel better. I want to think more positively because I want to play well. Those are just basic concepts and those apply to older kids. But as they get older, the, the more developmentally advanced they are, the more they dictate kind of the solutions rather than me teaching like basic skills. So it's just an evolution from say 12 to 22. It's really an evolution from 12 to death. <laughs> Cause as we get older, we just keep continuing to find ways to get in our own way even more. You know <laughs> my, what I mean? That's yes, you're right. And that's why I real I've realized through the, my experiences working with younger kids that the sooner you get into the process and help them, the better off it is because you're kind of breaking the cycle. It's like right? preventive like, medicine. Correct. You don't, you don't want to wait until you've got something to start taking medicine. You want to do things to avoid that. Right. And that's also one of the biggest challenges in the mental performance field is that the perception still is there's something there has to be something wrong with me to work with Mike. There's something that has to be wrong with me to work with Alan Yeager, right? Like there has to be something wrong with me to go see somebody. And that's not it. It's about being proactive in your mental development so that you can avoid the adversity and discomfort and all this stuff because you have a toolbox in your mind for your mind, which we don't, right? We do thousands and tens of thousands of physical reps every single day, but we don't have a mental process to break up the monotony between them. Or when I don't play well, like, how do I think about it? We don't train any of that, which is fine, but don't be surprised at the consequences when you get to that point And now you're desperate for someone to come in and fix it, which makes it really hard, right? I'm sure you see that too. If, if someone's been doing the, the same thing, you know, mechanically wrong for the last 10 years, they developed a pattern, a habit, a routine. Yeah. Of the you way have they to try move. to groove a new pattern. That's right. That's really, really hard. And the older they get, the harder it gets. Absolutely. I've been, um, once again, your, your freshman foundation podcast. Um, I, if you, if anyone has never gone on Mike's website, you should go on his website. He's got some really, really great, great articles. Um, and you could find, I could, I could sit there. Like I went, when I first had Mike on the first time, I was like, wow, let me see what this guy's all about. Um, let me look and see it and look at his website, see if he has any articles. And I was like, wow, this guy's got a ton of great, great articles. So um, at the end, I'm going to ask you to talk about that uh, your website and where people can go to uh, get a hold of you and, and read some of your stuff because it's really amazing stuff. And um, I wanted to though one last question. Um, in reading that stuff, I noticed that you you talk a lot about mental 
and emotional roadblocks and the difference between a mental roadblock and an emotional roadblock. And it seems like one would affect the other, but you think that there's a difference between the two. Can you just talk about each of those for a minute? Well, yeah. I mean, so, so I, I, like I was just saying, right. Our thoughts become our feelings and our feelings become our behaviors, our actions. So yes, they are linked, but if we can mindfully look at a thought, right. Cause our brain, like we talked about before, our brain generates like 60 or 70,000 independent thoughts every day. Most of them, we just let go, right? We daydream, they go away, right? But every now and then the thought comes up that's been subconsciously generated that we'll latch on to, right? That's a bad thought. That's a negative thought. Like, I don't want to do that. Okay. But if I can look at that thought neutrally, right? Objectively and say, it's just a thought, I'm going to let it go. I never get to the place of having an emotional roadblock. It's only when we buy into the thoughts that make us feel badly that that emotion becomes a roadblock. I don't want to get out of bed today because like I'm playing like crap or I don't want to work today because it's not paying off. Like if we let that thought, if we we entertain it and we 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 feed it, it's going to become bigger than it needs to be and that's where the emotion comes in. That's harder to unwind because our feelings take over, right? Like let's I mean it's just common sense, right? I get my feelings. It's really hard to unwind it until something good happens, right? And now I'm sort of, if I don't have the control over that, now I'm just kind of waiting for a result to fix it, which may never come. Great. And my, my last question is, um, is there any advice you can give coaches as far as, is there any kind of, um, I know that it's such an individualized thing, but is there any kind of uh, pre-pen uh, thing you tell your guys to do? Is there any point in time when you tell these guys to, fo to, to get their stuff together and focus? Is there, is it while they're in right before they throw? Is it 20 minutes before they throw? Is there any kind of post throw thing you do? Um, if, if, if there is any, I don't know. I'm just trying to bring something home to these guys that are thinking, um, how do I incorporate this into my coaching? Yeah, I think the way that you just relayed that out, I'd say is, listen, every, every pitcher, every play, a lot, most players have a routine, right? They have some sort of pregame routine that they rely on. I think building in some mental element into that pregame routine to set the foundation for a good performance is, is critical, right? Maybe that's breathing. Maybe it's, I close my eyes. Maybe it's some form of journaling, right? Like there's something that goes in mentally into the intention of how I want to show up today. And it's not, Hey, I want to go strike out 15 guys. It's, I want to go attack on every pitch, right? Like there's some intention for how I'm going to conduct myself that aligns with my values as a player, right? That's process oriented and in my control. And then post game, I love, I've been doing this a lot lately, even with training sessions is reflecting, right? Like look at the performance as a, as a vehicle for learning. That's great. What can I take out of it to get better? And what awesome. can I leave, leave behind so that the emotion goes away? Like, yeah, maybe I, I didn't pitch as well as I want to, but what did I do? Well, what could I do better? And how am I going to change my training in the next week before I make my next start? Right. So that I can then focus on development and improvement. Cause I want my kids to be the best players they can be. You know, the one we're talking about, I want him to be the best player he can be when he's senior in college or he, he makes it to the pros, not today, not 17, 22, 25, 30. You have to be focused on development. 
because that one start's not going to dictate whether you get there. It's, am I getting better as a player? And do I have the, the, the growth mindset and the learning ability to get better and take from that? That's great. I, I will say that pretty much every night before I go to bed, I actually lay there and the, I just ask myself the same question. What's one thing that happened today that I learned from? And mm-hmm. what did I learn from it? And there's, I don't think a day goes by that I can't actually find something you know what I mean? That I, I could learn from. So great, great advice. We've been talking with Mike Huber, certified mental performance consultant. Uh, Mike, how can guys uh, reach you? And can you give us your website? Because there's some great stuff on it. Yeah. So the website's the best place. It's Michael V as in Vincent Huber.com. And all the things that you mentioned, those are on there. The blogs, the podcasts, uh, interviews I've done. Free, free resources that you can use to introduce yourself to the mental side of your sport, to baseball, without having to engage with me. But if you want to reach out, all my contacts on there, Instagram, you can message me. You could, you could, you can give me a call, text me, email me, whatever you want. Uh, I'm here, you know, for whatever you need. Great. And you can reach out to me at Nunzio Signore on Twitter, uh, at my facility at RPP underscore baseball on both Instagram and Twitter. The website is rocklandpeakperformance.com. I've got a book out on velocity-based training, how to apply science, technology, and data to maximize performance. You can get that on Amazon, and it's reached. Uh, it's it's released by, um, published by Human Kinetics. Once again, Mike, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nunes. It's great. And uh, stay tuned next time, guys, for another episode of Behind the Seams podcast. Have a great day. 